Hi, this is Marlene, and I want to welcome you to another episode of Stories of the Supernatural. Whether you're watching a video or listening to a podcast, please like and subscribe to us so that you can get notification of when a new show is released. Links to videos or MP3 files can be found on MiamiGhostChronicles.com. Go to MarlenePardo.com for information on new book releases. I narrate several podcast series that can be found on major podcast platforms and can also be listened to via Alexa, Sonos, and other home systems. Look for Supernatural Storytime for scary storytelling, Nightshade Diary for classic horror and adventure stories, Stories of the Supernatural for interviews with different guests on the show. If you want to get noteworthy news about the paranormal world, true crime, conspiracy stories, and anything that is just plain weird, you can visit Strange Than Fiction Stories tab at MiamiGhostChronicles.com or find us on Blogspot. I want to thank you for being part of my audience, and I think you are all wonderful. mute my mic which would help how's everybody doing it's marlene miami ghost chronicles stories of the supernatural but i'm going to go and put my hypnotist hat on because believe me a lot of weird things happen to hypnotherapists um especially um like myself which i worked in uh what they call alternative forms of hypnosis all right uh i did the regular stuff i did the stop smoking um, I'll lose weight, things like that nature, normal stuff, normal stuff. But then I also did work in alternative forms of hypnosis. And I've said this story before where, uh, yeah, there were some clients that came to me from the get-go for alternative forms of hypnosis, but there were lots, I want to say the majority of them first came in for regular hypnosis. And once they felt more comfortable around me, as in they trusted me, then we would discuss certain things. And a lot of them did reach out to me to address certain things that fall into what they call alternative hypnosis, being either spirit attachments, recovered memories, uh, past life regression. Um, uh, I know that sometimes fears and phobias, people look at them as your regular uh, hypnosis, but sometimes some of these, especially the phobias, the fears, if you know what it is, it's a fear. Like I got bit by a dog when I was a kid. So now I'm scared of dogs. You know, you understand your fear. I can help you overcome it. But the phobia is when you have a fear of something or situations and you can't remember why or understand why you feel this way. And sometimes um, if we did uh, what they call age regression and hypnosis, it would... Um, it just wouldn't, there, there was no answer for it. And then sometimes we would jump into past life regression. By the way, for those people uh, that are watching me on YouTube, I know that the, for some reason at this time of night, I don't know what happens to my internet signal, which by the way, I'm in the, in the process of upgrading, but it just stinks. I'm sorry. I apologize for that. So I'm hoping that for those of you who are going to hear the podcast version, it's going to be better than uh, watching me with my pixelated video. Sorry, so I don't know what to tell you about that. But anyway, 
getting on to, I already had some people send me questions because they said, look, Marlene, we're not going to, I can't, I, I'm not going to be able to watch the live stream, but I would really appreciate it if you would talk about this because I'm very curious about that. All right. Um, I also had a lot of people, I, and I did a, a separate video for this um, where I had people contact me via another person um, because, uh, and, and I had one person ask me to go back into this and I'll, I'll go, we'll dive into that part, which is um, because one of the main tenets of hypnosis is relaxation. All right, relaxation as in allowing you to sleep better so that you don't telescope when you're anxious because that just makes everything worse. Doesn't It's not a magic pill. This is not a magic pill. But when you're anxious, you telescope on your problems. Everything seems worse than it is. And solutions, coming up with ideas, forgets it. So uh, I'm going to start with my first weird story and then I'll fluctuate between. And I tell everybody, this was before I actually got into hypnosis. And, uh, but I, it did tie in later on to other ex, uh, clients that I had. This, I want to say, was in the early 2000s. And as you know, I was doing paranormal investigations since the 1990s. In my Migos Chronicles, I had it since way back then. And anyways, the advent of the internet came through and websites and everything. But back then, you know, people so much, there was no so much as Facebook and social media. So people would just send you emails like, hey, have you heard of this? Or I had this experience and what do you think? So I remember I had this email and I'm almost positive I have it stored away somewhere because it was so unusual that I kept it. And uh, basically I had sounded like a young guy, like a teenager, tells me this email. He's in another state. I can't remember. I want to say it was in the Midwest somewhere. And he tells me the story how he had gone hunting in with a group of guys, but among them were his, his father was there. But I guess his dad was into hunting. It sounded like something like that. Hey, we're going to bring you along this time kind of deal. And they had been somewhere hunting and he says, and he described in the letter, better said that, just when they're getting ready to go out and do whatever they're going to do, because he really doesn't go into like what they were hunting or anything. He just describes that they're in this deep forest. They have a camp made up and all of a sudden, uh, one of them comes back and starts talking to his father and he sees his father walk off with a guy and he knows it's a friend of his father's. And he says that his dad comes back and he says, just, and he says, they said, they mentioned like there were a couple of trucks, like, you know, it was a group of men. He says, just put your things in the, back, in the back of the truck and get it in the truck. Don't say another word. And he's like, and he says, I, my, he says, my dad, I could tell by my dad's face that he was upset. And he goes, I wasn't sure he was worried or angry, but it was like, I knew like, I'm not going to ask questions now. He's going to bite my head off. So his father basically orders him, be quiet, stow your tough, stow your things in the in the bed of the truck, and we're leaving right now. And he's like, what happened? He can't figure out what 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 occurred from one minute to the next between 
his dad talking to one guy, then somebody else. And then the next thing he knows, they're all leaving, like picking up. He says that they, 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 the stuff that they had already put out, they, every, like within minutes, they had picked everything and they were leaving. Now, the way it made it sound was like right after this incident, which leads me to believe that wherever they went hunting, I don't think it could have been far from where he lived. But to be honest with you, he really didn't specify. But what he did tell me is in that email that apparently he, when he would get home from school, and it sounded like he lived in a rural area the way he described it, um, his house, he was the first one to get home. And he, in the, in the, in the email he describes where he gets home and it's a two-story house. And he describes where he's, I think he went to the kitchen or somewhere downstairs, I think to get something to eat. And then he says he hears something or somebody upstairs. He hears some type of noise upstairs. And he was like, he said that he didn't get scared because he just thought, he knew that he was, he usually was the first one home before his parents. And he didn't mention anything about siblings, so I'm assuming that he was there alone. So he says that he thinks it's really weird. So the way he described it was that his stairs uh, would go up to a landing and then double back and go in the opposite direction, which would take you straight into a hallway where I guess the upstairs bedrooms were. And he said that. He went up the first landing, but he says the way he described it, and he was really precise about this, was when you went up to that landing before the stairs turned back, basically at his height, you could look. It was, I guess it was a very short remainder. You could look down, you could look down that hallway. Yeah, you had to go up a little bit, a few more steps to put you, but you could see. And he told me in that letter that what he had seen was a wolf man. A wolf thing. That's what he called it. A werewolf kind of thing. And he said, no, I take that back. There was one point where he said before he saw it that he heard something growl. And he couldn't understand because, and, and he mentioned, you know, my dogs, they, 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 they stayed outside. Like there was no dogs inside the house. And when he made it to that first landing is when he says he looked and he saw like this werewolf thing. And he says that he just vaulted over the banister of the landing, ran out the front door. And he said, I went to my grandparents' house and I'm going to assume his grandparents live close by, close enough that he was able to get over there. And he said that for some reason, he just, he, he was so scared that he says after that, after that, he, he said, I would just go to my grandparents' house until somebody got home, until one of my parents got home. And he didn't tell anybody to anything because he says he was afraid that they were going to like think, tell him that he was making this up. And I remember, and he says that then the, he says uh, about a year later or something like that, he says he finally gets around to asking his dad what happened on this trip that we were out there. And you acted like, I, I, you never told me what, why did we leave in such a hurry? And you were mad. And, and then he says, it's really funny because I guess he was growing up because he mentions, I realized that sometimes my dad acts mad when he's worried or scared. So I think he was kind of like putting two and two together. And then his dad tells him that one of the guys 
in the group that he knew says that they had seen and described something very similar to what he had seen upstairs. But he says he, his father hadn't seen it. But his father said, I know this man and he wouldn't lie about something like this. And there's another guy there that's a hunter. He's been here for a long time. And he he's the one that told us that the best thing we could do is just to leave right now. He said, don't go hunting. Don't do anything. Grab your things, grab your kid and leave. And he said, and neither the guy that said he saw something or the guy that said, we, you guys, we all got to leave right now. He says, he says, th these men would never have said that for that good reason. And then he goes on to say that that's when he tells his dad, you know, this happened to me a few days after we had that hunting trip. And his dad was, tells him everything. He says, and his father was like really upset. Like, why didn't you tell him? Why didn't you tell me? And he goes, for the same reason you didn't tell me why we left. And then he goes on to know, like, for the next few weeks, they had some missing animals in the area, like chickens. And I guess, I guess in that area, because that's why I say it was a rural area, it's like farm animals, like sheep or goats or stuff like that. And so much so that they were starting to get concerned because they were thinking what's out there. And then it just slowly petered out and it stopped. And I remember when I read that, I was like, okay, whoa. And the thing was, you know, I've received a lot of emails describing a lot of weird stuff. And usually the vein that they're written in, you could tell, oh, you're pulling my leg or this is like a tall tale. But the way that this email was written by this kid was detailed. And it had the, it sounded true. It sounded like somebody that was retelling what they had experienced. And, but I put that away. I put that story away. I said, well, that's way out there, but it is what it is whether he saw what he thought he saw. And I'm thinking to myself, what what do you think you could see down the hallway of your house that looks like a werewolf, except what, you know, let's face it. He said to him, it was huge. It was, and it was standing on two legs. And it, he says he didn't, he booked it out of there. He left the house. So what that tells me is, um, and again, like I said, this was early 2000s when I got this email. So I put that away and I said, well, okay, this is just one of these stories that, okay. I guess this will come to light later on, you know, whatever. I just, I believe me, I've, I've received a lot of strange stories. Now I'm going to flip flop and I'm going to, in a bit, I'm going to go back to weird, weird stories about like that. People ask me, oh, Marlene, um, what were some of the weird stories with hypnosis? And um, this is, this didn't happen to me, but this made me realize that sometimes when people come to you for um, uh, behavior modification, let's say stop smoking, that sometimes when there's a real big problem with them overcoming it, there's more to it than that. And and when somebody would come to me for smoking, first thing I determined was how much are you smoking? If they had a pack or more, then we would we would do like a, a, in stages. We would get them down to one pack and then, but if they were less than a pack a day, then we would, that's it. We we're going cold Turkey. And, you know, there was a series of uh, hypnosis and recordings. I would even give them just to relax them. And, you know, but anyway, so every once in a while, one time I was, uh, I was reading because I was having a client that was having a really hard time. Like in other words, consciously 
they because they wanted to stop smoking, which, by the way, that was one of the questions I would ask my clients. Do you really want to do this? Don't you know if you're coming here because somebody laid a guilt trip on you or whatever, it's not going to work. Do you really want to do it? So I, I was clarified that up front. And uh, this person did. This person really wanted to stop smoking. Um, they just for some reason they couldn't let it go. So I remember I was I was looking up like a. Uh, you know, what would happen? And that, and that person wasn't really smoking that much. They, it was not like they were a really heavy smoker and they were just, and I remembered reading, this was another hypnosis. I would give them credit if I could remember. This was many years ago where they had, they just started describing a similar scenario. They have a client uh, having a hard, difficult time uh, with the smoking cessation. They've tried everything they can think of as far as suggestions. Sometimes you have to talk to people depending on their suggestibility in different ways, something that makes sense to them. Same thing, they couldn't. So this hypnotist goes the route is, let's go do a past life regression thinking. Maybe the answer lies there. Sure enough, they take this as, as a matter of fact, I remember now, it was a couple. They both had come in to stop smoking. The wife is able to stop smoking. The husband first is on a snag. He can't, he can't. So finally, the hypnotist puts them in through age and then past life regression. And they come to, she asks, is there something, some event or some moment that is stopping him from letting go of the smoking now at this moment? Because sometimes the, you have to ask certain um, pertinent questions while you have somebody under hypnosis to produce something. Sometimes you can get real broad and let the mind or subconscious pick what it wants. But there's other times like this where you, you ask a particular question a certain way. And what the person under hypnosis, the man describes is that he is, I can't remember if he was, it was wartime. And I believe he was a soldier or some other person I want to say he was either in some town or something that got occupied. And he ends up being going to, he's going to be executed, but by military, which is by firing, you know, getting shot. And in it, he says he sees himself, not him, but him, not looking like him, in other words, because that's part of past life aggression, being led out to this wall where they shoot prisoners or whoever they're going to execute. And one of the last things they do is they give him, what did he want? His last cigarette. This was his last thing. So he got hung up to him. Uh, obviously, God, God knows, to talk about a moment that's full of emotion, that him not smoking or the end of that cigarette signified the end of his life. And this hook had buried so deeply in his subconscious mind that it ran from that fear from that lifetime to this. And obviously, consciously, you know perfectly well that the cigarette really wouldn't didn't prolong his life in the sense of, you know, the cigarette will last forever. But in that moment, he saw it is my life will be over as soon as I finish smoking the cigarette. And thus, this was what was interfering for him to stop smoking now. Bottom line, 
when this uh, hypnotist, they did that, they brought this person back that he recognized, he saw that scenario where the last cigarette was the last cigarette. He was able to overcome, he was able to overcome the smoking. In other words, he, they, they, he discovered what was impeding this person from smoking cessation. For those of you who ask, well, does past life regression work? And again, and I've said it before, whether past life regression really exists as in reincarnation, the results are there. You have, Then you could say, you know what? This guy had a great imagination. When she put him into uh, past life regression and he saw himself as a guy somewhere getting about to get shot and that last cigarette was the end of his life, whether that was an actual past life as in reincarnation kind of scenario, or this was this great uh, made up thing. God knows our minds can, doesn't matter because once he witnessed it, this allowed him, this was the stumbling block that wasn't allowing him, allowing him to stop smoking. Okay. Point in question. Um, so based on that, uh, I did that with one of my clients who was having a hard time stop smoke, to stop smoking. And this person, I took him back, but it was very recent history. And he saw himself as like, this sounded like almost like the fifties, you know, where guys would wear the, the jackets and, and not a motorcycle gang like we have today. It sounded more like the 50th, like Rebel Without a Cause, that kind of time period middle, late fifties, uh, where the smoking, the, uh, cigarette smoking, he was, was like a, a way to look tough, a way to look tough. In other words, this was this appearance of being tough was the, like an armor that he wore in that, at that time with who he hung out with, which was you know, like, you know, that, that, uh, that movie, no country for old men. This was no country for cowards, no place for cowards. So anything that you could do to make yourself look tough, you did it. And that was including smoking. So once we did that, we saw that and it was like, okay, you're not there. You don't, you don't hang out with a rough crowd. You, you smoking now, it's not going to prove anything to anybody. Nobody's trying to get you now. It's not like, you know, I want to say it was that allowed him that that let this person stop smoking, you know. And and I and by the way, I did come across that a lot with my people that were smoking, uh, because it's almost tied to your identity. You see yourself as a smoker. A lot of especially the young kids that started like, hey, I want to look tough, I want to cool. When you tell them let's take away the cigarette, you're going to stop smoking. It was like, man, you're going to take my identity. Because in their mind, they see themselves as smokers. And that's why they have a really hard time sometimes letting go. It's not the nicotine or the physical need of the cigarette or any of the chemicals, which by the way, within 24 to 48 hours, that's gone. It's purely psychological because it's besides the habit, it's what it represents. It's your identity. In other words, when you see yourself, your identity, you see yourself as a smoker. Okay. Same thing. I had, Clients where by the best times was when they were smoking a cigarette. It was social situations. Hey, when I hang out, when I go out to a club, uh, when 
Um, this was, remember, this is uh, by the time where people were told you got to go outside to smoke or, you know, in some, some places they would give you even like a little patio area. The smokers used to hang out. So sometimes they equate it with, I have a great time when I smoke. I'm with my friends, either at work and we're hanging out together and or social situations. You know, we're at a party, we're at a club. So it's almost like, oh, if I take away the cigarette, I'm going to lose the all these good times. It's really weird, the connections that we make in our head as to what we want the cigarette, what it represents, okay, which is why sometimes people have a hard time with that. Now, I'm going to flip-flop back to the weird cryptid stories. Um, like I said, I got that story from that kid like back early 2000s. And one of the things I would do with my clients was whatever I was working with you on, again, behavior modification, smoking cessation, um, when I say weight control, it's really weird because some people, it was eating. For some people, it was going to the gym. Like in other words, the, you know, the, it, it depends. There was, it was behavior modification where that could come from different angles. But anyway, I would give them like, a, I would do like a less than a 10 minute relaxation recording. And I would say, look, if you can try to listen to this right before you sleep, there's basically had instructions for you to drop into REM sleep. And uh, it was a very generalized, and I even had clients that would tell me, Marlene, even after they stopped seeing me, I keep listening to your, to your thing because I sleep great, all right? Because there were suggestions embedded in there that the more they did it, the more it happened, okay? As far as um, being one of the most important things is REM sleep. Going down into REM sleep, you clean out your mind, and basically you go into that deep, deep sleep that your brain needs, uh, so anyway, one time I get a call from one of my clients that I was done with. She calls me up. She tells me, hey, Marlene, I got this guy. He's a friend of the family. I've known him for a long time. He's a real nice man, real level-headed. And he came to visit us, and he's a nervous wreck. And I started to tell him how you had helped me out, but that your little, because I would, what I would do is I would, you know, download like an MP3 file and I would send it to him, to the client. And uh, how your MP3 files that I could sleep great because, and you know what? I don't know. He won't tell us what's going on, even though my parents have known him for a really long time. Uh, would you mind talking to him? I said, sure. Tell him to call me. So sure enough, this guy calls me. And you could tell he's being very cautious when I'm speaking with him, really cautious. And we're talking a little bit back and forth. And, and you could tell this man, because this is something like a, 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 a sixth sense that you develop when somebody wants to tell you something, but they're very guarded. I think, number one, because they're afraid you're going to go, what? Ha ha ha. You know, or something like that. Or, so finally, you know, after we get through the, I said, you know, what's, what's going on? They told me that you're having a hard time sleeping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, why is that? But she says that you're a pretty level-headed guy and they're kind of worried about you. Yeah, well, I said, look, number one, even though you're technically a lot, my client, I, I believe in confidentiality for whatever you're going to tell me. I'm never not going to tell them, obviously, nobody. 
That's number one. Number two, you'd be surprised at some of the things I've heard. There's nothing, not going to be anything that you're going to tell me that is going to knock me out of my shoes. And by the, by the way, at this point, I, I, I'm not, I haven't told him anything that there's, Marlene has a side thing with paranormal investigations, because, which I, I've been involved with before uh, hypnosis. So this man is seeing me strictly as a hypnotist. And uh, finally he tells me, I said, look, and by the way, at this point, he's only giving me his first name. And even then, I don't even know if that was his real name. You could tell he's, he was wigged out. So I said, this must be a doozy. He's so worried about what he's going to tell me. I said, look, just tell me what it is. If I can help you, I can help you. And at this point, really, what it sounds like, you know, if people don't get sleep, things tend to go sideways for you all across the board. So go ahead, tell me, tell me what it is. So he starts telling me, I guess he, this, you know, he sounded like, you know, when somebody's at the rope's end. And it's really funny because in paranormal's work, I'd come across that. Again, this is back in the 90s before people thought everything right away was a ghost, where by the time they contacted, you could tell these people were at their ropes. And there's a, something about the way they talk that they don't want to believe that this is the reality that's happening, but they have no choice. They're there. So I said, go, go ahead. And I'm quiet. Ther therapist, therapist trick, you just shut up. Let the other person talk and talk and talk. So he's just telling me how he's a security guard. And he had been doing that for several years. And that he, the company that he worked for would do security, but at uh, he made it sound like construction sites, places like overnights where there was heavy equipment or things of value were being left and sites that needed uh, somebody to be watching it. He didn't, it didn't sound like security, like you see like a you know store or anything like that. And he says that he'd been doing it for several years and he says that he was that that he, he they, they really liked him because he was really good at doing overnight work because he says oh they had a problem with guys falling asleep stuff like that and I I was fine with it I I, I didn't ha I didn't have a problem with my sleep pattern I could stay awake all night and you know and I was really good and he says one day his boss comes and tells him hey <clears throat> I need you to start working at this uh, location overnight of course the, they're building some houses out there and. I just need you to be out there. And he's thinking, well, that's weird. Because he says, then he says, the, the way he described it to me was, he says, uh, the, the security company that he worked for, they had like lockers almost where they worked at. And because they would even, uh, they had like a, the, the cars. In other words, you would leave your car there and use one of their cars to go out there. And they have the lockers. And he says he's, he says he's like, okay, that's weird. But because he says that normally his boss would have said, look, we need you to do this. We're going to switch you out because so-and-so left or they, they would give him a reason why we're switching you from this job to that job. Uh, yeah. So-and-so is going over here, but he says that his boss doesn't give him a reason why all of a sudden he's pulling him off one job and putting on this other place. So he says that. He's in the locker room and he sees the guy that had been working this job that he's going to. He's like, the guy's still there. It's not like this guy up and left. I'm not replacing him. Like, this is weird. And he says the guy is looking at him like really unusual. He's like, what is up with this? Because he's thinking, well, I didn't ask for that job. What's up with it? And he says that there's something going on. And 
he's just, he says he knew the guy, but not really. It's like somebody you work with, but you just know this so-and-so works here. So he's trying to figure out like what is going on. But he says he goes out there. And the way he described it was, he says it was a new development, a housing development going on. And um, they were just putting up like the models. They were in the building of models. And he says that they were, they had laid out the streets and they had cleared, uh, apparently he, the way he made it sound was like it was really like wooded, a very wooded area. And they had laid out the streets, but they still had heavy equipment there. And he says that they had, um, they had made like a, one of those little shacks, those little guard shacks. And that they just told them, look, just uh, they had like one of, um, what is it, a golf cart kind of deal. He says all he had to do was stay away and just go around. He says there was not that much. He says there was three houses that were the models that were still in the construction. He says some of them, he said a couple didn't even have roofs on. They only had like the trusses. And he says on the other side was where they parked the heavy equipment. And he says that there was had like a big spotlight. And he says that this development was going to be really big. He says, but it had one road in and one road out. And the way he made it sound, it was like on the outskirts of some town. Again, he didn't tell me. He was very, you know, like, I don't want to be too specific. He didn't want to be too specific, in other words. So he's telling me he goes out there. And to him, this is the norm. Just watch stuff, make sure nobody goes in there. You know, uh, obviously stealing or vandalism. He says, there wasn't even any houses built there because I know sometimes people take appliances. He says, the, the biggest deal there was what they were doing and of course the heavy equipment that was out there. So he says he's just like going out there and driving around and no problem. And he says, he's thinking, oh, you know what? I wonder if this guy fell asleep because he says it was really quiet. It was like, he says, nothing was out there, nothing. So he says that about two or three in the morning, he sees a car come in through that main street that comes into that neighborhood. And he could tell that it's like a bunch of teenagers but he says that that once they see him, they kind of like turn around and leave. Like they did a U-turn and left. So he's like, whatever. Okay. So he says that he walked around to, he, but and one of the things he tells me uh, is that these models, they were, they had built them right on the, that the end of the lot was where the wood started. And I guess they were trying to make it look scenic and stuff. And he says that, he says, I walked around there and, you know, I would just hear like little animal noises, but otherwise was very quiet. And he says that went on for a bit. And then one time for like a couple of days, and he says one time the guy that had been working out there comes up to him and tells him, hey, do you have a gun? And he's like, yeah, but I don't. Oh, that's one thing I remember now that he mentioned. He says they didn't carry guns. He says the type of security that they did they did not carry guns and you were not supposed to, you know, in other words, apparently, and I, I know I had to do something with licensing or whatever the needs were. I know he mentioned that he didn't have a gun, but this man that used to be working there comes and tells him, Hey, do you have a gun? And he goes, yeah, I do, but it's at home. I don't have it with me. He goes, the man tells him, this guy tells me, he goes, well, I'll tell you what, if I were you, I'd bring mine. Even if you have to put it in the trunk, he's like, what's wrong with this guy? He tells him, he's again, what this guy got, what wigged out because, because he's thinking, you know, maybe a bunch of teenagers came in there. And he's like, what is wrong with this man? Because this guy's being all mysterious. And he says he just walks away. And he's like, what the hell? 
So he says he he is like, all right, whatever. So he says that about three or four days into this, he says one of the times, he says that around these houses that were under construction, there was, there was no grass. It was just gravelly, very gravelly. And he says that a couple of times he thought he heard like uh, gravel shifting. And he says, oh, at the beginning, I thought, well, you know, animal, raccoon, something, whatever. And then he says another couple of times, he says that the yard, the area where they had the heavy equipment was way on the other side, had like one of those big bright lights. But he said a couple of times he thought he saw like movement there. So he says he would get in his little golf cart thing and zoom over there. There's nothing there. And it's happened to him a few times. And he's like, he says, after a while, when you work at night, you know, this is what the hell's causing this shadow or movement that I'm seeing among these heavy equipment. And he's even thinking, okay, these stupid kids are trying to come back in. And instead of coming in through the main road, they're trying to sneak back in, um, you know, maybe through the woods or something. He says, but then he says that, he, he, he even said that he started getting this really weird feeling. He said, oh, and he says, one of the times he says, he's going around where the models are. Because he says that this whole place, all the streets were laid out. So he would just drive through there. But there was that one area where they were putting up the models. Where he says he comes across something and something's smelling bad, really bad. And he's like, holy smokes. He's thinking some animal just died right there on the wood line. And man, it's stinking this place up. What the heck? And he's thinking, man, but this wasn't smelling yesterday. He says it was horrible, a really bad smell. It's like, well, I'm not going to find out what that is. It's just, oh God, who knows what the, but in, in the way he came across, he goes, man, it's like, it was pungent. So he's, but he says that after that, he keeps seeing something movement over there by big, equip, big equipment. And then he started getting an uneasy feeling. And I'm speeding this along. He says that when he was out there, he goes, and I don't, I couldn't understand. As a matter of fact, I was starting to get mad at this guy. Because I'm thinking, man, he's freaking me out. He's freaking me out. My imagination's working overtime. I've done this work before. Nothing's ever happened to me. You know, what? now I'm wigging out. Now I'm hearing noises, you know, and whatever. And I'm seeing stuff. And then he started to talk about how he's getting this feeling that he's being watched, especially when he's over there by the area of the, he says the that the models were, they all had were walls. The, the the windows, you know, were just openings, the doors, same thing. That's the stage of construction they were under. So finally, he says he got really mad because, again, he's thinking, this is the stupid kids that they're trying to prank me. And, or they're trying to go in there and graffiti or tag the walls of these things. And, you know, he's, he says he's thinking all these things. Like, so he says that one time where he's like, man, uh, this is starting to worry me. Because he says it wasn't so much also if he's being watched, but he says, I got this feeling of, uh, like it worried me. It wasn't like somebody's watching me. It was like danger, like be careful. So he says that one time, he says, you know what? I'm going to bust one of these stupid kids that's doing this shit to me. So he says that he parked his little cart, whatever, down the road, and he doubled back and he came around on foot in through the models. And he says that the way he described it was, he says there was a doorway that if you went through it, it, it basically put you in the garage of this house, which is half built, he says. And then it had a doorway 
that would lead into what would be the kitchen of the house. So he says that he comes in through that doorway, you know, one of these side doors that you have, not the front garage door, but one of those side doors. He says he walks through there. You know how garages drop down? So he says he starts hearing like, um, again, that, that gravelly, like somebody walking on gravel. So he's like, I'm going to, he says that the only thing he had was one of those big mag flashlights. So he says, I'm creeping along. And uh, there's a doorway that would lead into what eventually would be the kitchen. And he says that from his vantage point, you would, you could look, it sounded like maybe something, a family room with where a big sliding glass door, or big windows were, but there was just an opening. And he says that it was a little bit higher because he was down in the garage area. So he says, he, he says, I'm up against the wall and I'm looking through this doorway. And I said, I'm going to bust these kids because they're seeing my little golf cart with the headlights on down the street, down the block. So he tells me, and I could tell the man stopped that you could tell he was weighing how he was going to tell me this. And I said, go ahead, tell me, because I know that this, you know, and I could tell by the way he was describing it. You know, when somebody has really like played something on their head, they've tried to overanalyze it in their head. In, in other words, he was being real careful. He, he didn't want to sound like I'm a crazy guy. So I said, go ahead, tell me, tell me what you saw. He goes, I looked through and he says, and I saw for a minute what I thought was a man, but it wasn't a man. He says, it was an animal. And it looked like a wolf, but it was standing on two legs. It was huge. And it was standing at the opening over that sliding glass door, which was just an opening. And he said, and thank God I was leaning up against the wall. Because he says, I don't think if I wouldn't have been leaning against the wall, I would probably have fallen down. He says that this thing, he says, was huge. And he it was looking out like that back opening. And he says beyond that, that would have been the back backyard. And then beyond that were wooded fields. So he says that it just like, and then all of a sudden just walked off into the, what he thought was a backyard in the wood. And he says that he stood there. He says, I really don't know how long I stood there. Because I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know whether I should stay. I was... I said, if I walk out, he says, at some point I realized I got to get out of here. So he says that, he says, and he says, in my mind, I just, I think I bypassed how I got to the golf cart. He says, I didn't leave that golf, that the guard shed the rest of the night. And he says, he called in sick for the next three days. And he says, on the third day, he says, I got, I, I, I can't, I got to talk to my boss because I'm not going to go there, but I can't keep calling out because I want to lose my job. So, <clears throat> He says uh, the third day, he goes in, talks to his boss, and he says, look, I don't want to work at this site anymore. I want you to put, back, put me back at the old site. And he says that his boss just didn't say anything and looked at him. He says, you do? And he goes, yep, I want you to put me back where I was at before. I just don't want to be here. If you make me go, I'm going to quit. And he says, he says, it was really weird because my supervisor didn't ask me why. He said, okay, no problem. Don't worry. Just come in tomorrow and we'll put you back at your old work, at your old site. He says, that told me, he says, 
it was almost like we agreed not to talk about it, but I knew that he there's something there that he knew because he didn't ask me, well, why? What's going on? Did something happen? He says, the supervisor told him, okay, don't worry. Just come in tomorrow. We'll put you at the other side. He says, I don't know how they handled that. I'm sure they got somebody out there. And I didn't want to know. He says, whenever anybody would talk to me about that, I didn't, I, that he says, I, but then comes the point where he's calling me. What happens to this man is after he has his experience, he can't sleep. In the daytime, well, he was used to working at night. So his his rhythm, his sleep rhythm pattern was set to sleep during the day. But he's telling me that after, he, basically his world has been rocked because he sees something that he doesn't think that's, that, that exists. He says, I can't sleep. He says, um, even now with my job, even where I work, once it gets dark, I start worrying. He says, when I used to do my job, I had no problem working by myself in these areas where there was nobody there and I would drive around and I would investigate. And I, he says, unarmed, he says, now, you know, you can't pry me out of that guard shack unless it's with a crowbar or the car or the security guard car. And he says, plus I can't sleep. And then when I get home, I'll fall asleep for a couple of hours and then I'm waking up and he's having nightmares. Apparently this has been going on for a few months. And you know, I could tell that there was a sigh of relief when I didn't like, you saw what? Ha <laughs> ha. No. I said, you know what? I don't know what that is. And I'm just going to tell. And by this, by the way, at this point, I'm not making the connection with that email I'd received a few years before from this kid who's telling me that he saw this thing in his house. So I said, you know what? Doesn't matter. You know, I've, I've heard a lot of weird stuff and you don't sound like the kind of person who's delusional. He goes, no, I'm not. And he says, I think that's why I'm having such a hard time. I can't make sense of this no matter how. And I'm afraid of talking to anybody about this because I'm afraid that they'll, they'll be ready to commit me, but I can't sleep or I, I, I can't stay as I can't stay asleep. In other words, he would fall asleep out of exhaustion, but then he couldn't stay asleep and he would wake up and he'd be listening. He says every noise, every little noise he goes. And by my, by the way, in my house, you know, there's, there's, I've never had any problems, but I'm, the guy was a nervous wreck. So I ended up giving him some of the, um, I gave, I sent him like a couple of MP3 for like relaxation and to put him down. And we spoke a couple more times. And he was saying, yeah, that's really helped. That's really helped. Um, and he even mentioned, like he goes, whenever they were going to put me on some type of work, work site, he says, man, I never wanted to be in one of these lonelier uh, remote job sites. He, he says, man, you just put me in the ones that are in the city you know, if there's construction on a road and you need me to sit there and babysit the equipment, he says, he says, I would always opt for that. He says, I, something that never worried me before. And a couple of, uh, after that, we didn't speak a couple of times and, you know, that was it. And I'm going to assume he was better. Okay. Uh, but that was one of those things. And again, it was for me, that story, it was the guy didn't sound like he was crazy. He didn't sound like he had mental issues. The way he described it was that he was like a very sane person doing this really re regular job, like a security guard. And he just had this moment where everything like tilted sideways for him and he, he couldn't make, and that's the problem. And you're going to hear in these other stories that people, once they have that experience, they can't go back to what they were before. They can't unsee it. They can't unwitness it. And that's why they have a problem. Because it's like, I want to go back to the ignorance is bliss mental state that I had before. 
and I can't get back there. So, yeah, that happens. So, um, I know somebody had asked me about any of my cases with um, spiritual attachments and past life regression. I had one. I had one client. He was a young man, a very nice young man, and he comes to me for past life regression. I said, "Okay, let's do the past life regression." So. Uh, I take it, and by the way, this was an ordinary guy. I want to say it was 22, 23. I take him back and he sees himself. He lives in some type of village. Okay. And he sees basically like a goat herder. And it's really difficult sometimes in some of these uh, past life regressions to say a year because it's almost like some of these places, it could have been 300 years ago, but the people, if you go to that area, they're living like the same it's but it sounded like a middle eastern area maybe greece some somewhere eastern europe that's what it sounded like what he was describing in the way he was dressed the story that he's seeing as he tells himself he's born in this village poor but you know they're not starving they're, they're goat herders and they, they have like a small village and he he's born in this place he marries and he has children basically he spends his entire life and then there's a part of past life regression where you take the person back to the moment of their death. Okay. And basically, in this case, you could, it didn't sound like it was going to be a traumatic death. But basically, you pull a person back almost like that. They could see it like if they're watching a movie. So in the end, he dies in his bed of old age. He has this. And now one of the suggestions that you give somebody when they're going into past life regression, especially if they've never had it before, is what is the most appropriate thing for them to see now at this moment? Because sometimes you can see some pretty horrific things that happened to people a long time ago. So he comes back and I said, well, why do you think this is by what, fresh when he's, when he's still under hypnosis, but he's been pulled out. He's in present time. There's a lot of ways you could do that. I said, what, what did you, what did you, what did you see in that lifetime? I said, it was a good life. It was a long life. You lived. You didn't starve. There was no wars. You grew up, married, had children, and died an old man. And he goes, I understand why. I said, why? He goes, well, I apparently, I, I can't remember if his daddy had either died or divorced, or his dad was not in the picture, like gone. And he was, he says, I'm, he says I, I've always been responsible for my mom and my younger sister. And he says, I realize that I keep using them as an excuse not to do stuff, not to go forward, not to do what I'm supposed to be doing. And it's almost, and I said, oh, so basically you're telling me what that part of you wants, the security that you had in that lifetime. But the flip side of that was you didn't see, you didn't see the world. Yeah, you had enough to eat. You were okay. You had your family, but your world was very narrow because this is, by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. But he says, yeah. He says, I realized that I, I'm using my, my sister and my mom as an excuse not to do the things I should be doing because I keep saying, well, I have to be around to take care of them. And basically, um, that's just an excuse for me to be safe. He says, I'm not pushing the envelope. I said, okay. So I had him under hypnosis. He had described certain things to me. I said, um, I said, do you want to uh, go ahead and see if you have any attachments? And he said, yeah because he was a real good subject, even though he had never done hypnosis before. 
And one of the things that you do when you have somebody under hypnosis that when you say see, I'm not telling them to see with their visual eye because obviously your eyes are closed. Okay, but it's seeing in your mind. And sometimes people have to like um, unlatch themselves from that physical part because when you tell them see, it's not like I want you to see with these eyes. I want you to see with these eyes up here. Basically what they do is they scan their body. Right away he tells me, it's my grandmother. I said, what's, what's going on with your grandmother? He goes, she has got her face in my face. And this is why he's, he's, by the way, I've got like my office, I've got like a big easy chair, like a lazy boy. And he's got his eyes closed and he's telling me, he goes, it's almost like her face is right up, up to mine. And I've got her right, right there. I said, yeah, why, why do you think she's doing that? And he says, well, she was always very close to me and to, to me and my sister. And uh, I want to say, I want to say that was the maternal grandmother because he made like into my mom. And I say, so what do you think? He goes, I think she's been holding me back too. I think she was one of these uh, war, war rewards that never wanted me and my sister to do anything because it was like, she was always the bad things were going to happen. You know, if the kid runs, he's going to fall down. If he does this, he's going to, yeah. Everything for her, what he described was that she, he goes, she doesn't want me. She's been holding me back too. She's been making me feel her fear. I don't think she wants to hurt me, but she's trying to protect me, even though she's passed away. And she just wants me to stay at home with my mom and my sister, even though I'm like 22 or 23. That was his age. I said, okay, well. And then I did a process where we let grandma go. In other words, unmeshed her, all right? And let guided her, get her through, you know, angelic help into where she should be. I mean, her motivation was not dark as in some people sometimes see uh, attachments, okay? It was because of her personality when she was alive and that she was concerned and she wanted him to stay home. She didn't want him to do, go out and explore the world, whatever he wanted to do, okay? And that was one of the interesting times that that um, that occurred where he he says after that a couple of times, you know, like I again I gave him the MP3 and you know, you talk to your clients a couple of times and then they get on with their lives. But the last I heard from him, he was doing great, you know, because he had been debating, you know, whether to go to college or go into the armed forces and it was one of those things where it was like, what do, what I want to do versus what I think I should do. And by the way, what he wanted to do, there was nothing weird or dangerous that you would say, well, that's a bad idea. No, it was just. And again, sometimes when people say, well, whether he regressed into a past lifetime for real or not, it doesn't matter because the results were that he, him seeing that moment of his life made sense to him in his head as to what was holding him back, all right? Where he was using the excuse and then he realized that because of the attachment of his grandmother, she was also feeding this fear of bad things are gonna happen to you if you go out and explore the world. If you do what normal 20 something year old guys wanna do. So it worked, that's what everybody. For anybody who's familiar at all with this, if anybody's, heard of that book from the 1980s by Dr. Weiss, Many Lives, Many Masters. Okay. In it, he describes something similar. And he was a psychiatrist 
He worked in South Florida. I want to say it was Broward County during the 1980s. And this was uh, a gentleman. He was strictly medical science. And he used hypnosis with a client that uh, had been in therapy with different people, had a bunch of hangups, phobias, had been under treatment for a lot of things. And nobody could get to the bottom of it. So he does hypnosis for her, like age regression, trying to find out what happened to her that's causing th this behavior or these things that's going on that are going on with her. And in the book, he describes how he's doing age, age regression, not past life. He's not doing that age regression. And basically he, she, she's telling him where he's, she's beyond this lifetime. She's beyond being a fetus inside her mother. <clears throat> but he, and he describes in the books at the beginning, he's like letting her go. He's thinking, this is just, I'm going to let her run with it. And the, the gist of the book, if anybody has a chance to read it, it's very interesting, was that he discovers that what she's describing is past life regression into a prior lifetimes. And later on, uh, she starts telling him certain things. He says, there's no way. Um, and that there's a set of masters that help guide her through this. And he's, he, um, he describes one of the time where this was, I read this book quite a while back that uh, she tells him something where apparently his firstborn child had died very soon after birth from some type of genetic heart problem. And he says, nobody knew about that. This was like a very private thing between him and his wife. It wasn't. And he says that under hypnosis, when these masters are talking to her about, and I mean, it's a, it's a process where he got to the point that he realized this is not somebody making stuff up in their head. She describes and tells him about his son and tells him about seeing his father had passed away. And he says that that's one of the moments that he starts realizing that what she's, her experience is not strictly in her head. Very interesting. He loves many masters. For those of you who are not sure about the past life regression, et cetera, et cetera. Let's go back to the cryptid story. So along the way, I get another guy, same thing. I can't, uh, I can't remember how he found me. I don't remember if he was a referral or I don't know. All I know is he calls me again on the phone. And, you know, I was used to people call, call me on the phone and either email me or text me, um, call me. So emails were easier, but every once in a while, yeah. And kind of like, you know, you could tell what they were very kind of weirded out about hypnosis. They had made up all these stories about what happened to you when you're in the hypnosis. God knows. I don't know. They thought they were going into another dimension. And I'd be like, I'd talk to some of them and I said, okay, you know what? Whatever. So one time this guy calls me and he tells me, he asks me, hey, can you, uh, can you hypnotize somebody to forget something? And I was like, no, not really. I mean, I said, as a matter of fact, a lot of people use hypnosis to remember things. I said, people sometimes put away things or they hide them so well or so long ago that they forget. And they'll come for hypnosis to try to remember it because your subconscious knows where it is. If you know where it is, your, your subconscious mind knows it. I mean, if you don't know it, you don't know it. This is the subconscious can't make stuff up. But if you know where it is in your subconscious mind, yeah. I said, I can use hypnosis 
to help you recover your memory, but to make you forget, I said, I had, by the way, I had, at that time I had read an article. This was around the time of the tsunami uh, out in uh, Indonesia, you know, where that thing rolled in and just, I'd heard about a hypnotist that had gone out there and what she did was, you know, this was when, you know, everybody's going out there to help, went out there and she trained other hypnotists because there were so many people that were like, um, what's the word I'm looking for, were so traumatized that they were giving people like a mini hypnosis to try to forget for a little while. Because sometimes, which is one of the reasons sometimes when people get amnesia, you know, uh, because you just can't cope with stuff at that moment. And later on, you know, your mind tries to keep you sane. So sometimes if something's really traumatic, and I'm not talking here a brain injury, um, it kind of like waits till you can handle it. And sometimes you never can, by the way. But that's why some people will have memories weeks, months, years later, because maybe at that time the mind realizes, okay, you you can you can it'll be difficult, but you can. Rem remember this and you won't like go ah. so anyway i said no not really i said uh but why what is it that you're trying to forget he goes well it was something i saw he did i said well you know what um i wish i could help you but maybe i can help you to relax what is it that that's that's so worrisome that you want to erase it from your memory. I said, what I can help you with, I said, sometimes people have certain memories that the emotions that they cause is what makes you sad, anxious. I said, maybe I can help you dial back the anxiety that those memories create for you. We can do that. We can work on that. You know, dial back the, I'm going to tell you, I'm sure everybody's had uh, things happen to them that when they're fresh, it hurts. It makes you anxious as time passes by. It lessens. And sometimes even years later, you can remember an event or something that happened or that you witnessed. And you could see it like if you saw a movie. Like it's it, the, the what you felt at the beginning is it's mellowed out. Sometimes there's hardly even an emotional response. I said, maybe we could work on that. I said, if you want to. So he says, well, let me tell you. I said, you know, I'll, I'll be, but, but why don't you tell me what it is? I said, if you want to, I'm not going to force you. If you want to just for relaxation, you know, we could work on that too. But so here is, <laughs> he tells me, well, again, this thing, men, men are very, <laughs> men have a problem <laughs> talking about this stuff. And I said, uh, go ahead. I said what I could do, he, he because he was like, I didn't, I don't want to come in, and you know, and uh, to be honest with you, I'm not even sure if he was in Florida. I don't. This guy, he says, well, can you hypnotize me over the phone, or can you send this? And I was like, okay, well, yeah. I can. I said, I, I just told you what I can and I cannot do. Right? If you don't want to tell me, that's fine. That's okay. I can send you some very generalized relaxation mp3s and we'll take it from there and that'll help you sleep and it... but sometimes it's better when the script is more geared to what's going on with you specifically 
So this is what he tells me. He says, okay. And by the way, these, these stories are like years apart. They're not, they're not right on top of the other. He goes, I was driving down this road and it was nighttime. And he was like, you could tell he was a really monotone voice because you could tell he's trying to like, I'm driving down this road and it's nighttime and there's wood, woods on either side. And I was driving very carefully because there's deers that are supposed to come out of the wood line. And I didn't want to hit a deer and mess up my car. And I'm like, quiet. And I'm going down this road at night and I'm not going real far. And then all of a sudden I see this deer coming out of the woods. And I said, I knew it. And I slowed down even further. And this thing comes up the embankment and crosses the road real quick. And I'm like, okay. And he goes, but then I saw something come chasing it out of the wood line. I said, right. He goes, and I thought it was a bear or a wolf, even though I didn't know that they would be going after this deer at night. And I almost had, thank God I had my foot on this brake. And this thing comes bounding up the embankment because I guess the road, it was like, it would slope down. And this thing, it came up, but it was really big. And I just couldn't understand what it was. And then it just stood up on its two hind legs and it crossed the road. And then it went down all four and it kept on after the deer. I said, could it have been a bear? He goes, no. I go, not a bear, you sure? I, and I'm like, I mean, I don't mean it like, I, I didn't say it like that. Like I said, well, I'm not sure about bear's habits, but he goes, it wasn't a bear. And it wasn't, you could tell, he goes, it looked, it looked like a dog. And I'm like, like a dog? I'm trying to think what the, he goes, but there's no dog that walks into my legs. And I said, no, you're right. I said, what, tell me, he goes, it, I saw it really clear because my headlights were on and I had to almost break my car and I saw it and it was like a big giant wolf dog thing, man, I don't know. And it just crossed and then it just leaped off and went running on all four on the other side of the road. But I know what I saw. And he's like, almost like wigging up. I said, you know what? I don't know what that is. And he goes, and I can't sleep and I don't want to remember this. I don't want to remember that anymore. This is like a bad, you know, He's like, he was like babbling. I said, look, I'll tell you what, I, I don't know what that is, but can I tell you something? Yeah, 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 tell me, tell me. I said, you're not the only person that's told me that they've heard, seen something like this before. And he's like, what? You can tell it. I said, I've had, I'm not going to tell you because of patient confidentiality, but I've had other people tell me that they've seen something similar to what you described in kind of in the same setting you know, wooded areas or kind of out away from cities. He goes, you have? I said, yeah, I have. I couldn't give them an explanation either because I don't know myself. But obviously I know for a fact that you guys, you, you don't know, you know, you, and you could tell this man was like, you know, like that proverbial, somebody took, took a weight off my shoulders. And I said, okay, I'll tell you what. And I think that 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 was, I said, I cannot make you forget that. I, there's no way I can make you unsee that. And I could tell us what he wanted. Because all these people, again, they wanted to be where they were because this, what they had seen was so against their, um, their reality or what they knew was possible in this reality that they couldn't make it fit. But you can't unsee it. And that's what he wanted me to do. So... I gave him some relaxation for sleeping and everything. And 
And he kind of complained the same thing. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm wigged out. I, you couldn't pay me to go into the woods. <laughs> I'm camping. Forget it. Um, he says, man, when it's getting dark, I'm wigging out. And I don't know. I just, I know what I saw. In other words, you could tell this is the kind of person, you know, when you know what you see and you wish you can't fool yourself because everywhere you go, there you are. Same kind of thought process, what he saw, what he thought he saw, same thing. And I remember one time I was, um, this was back in 2017. I interviewed a gentleman by the name of Jim Smith. As a matter of fact, if you look on my channel, you'll find his, uh, his, he's, he's passed away since then. And he ran the Alabama Bigfoot Society since the 70s. And he would, he told me stories about out in his area where people would see things running across the road and everything that they swore it was Bigfoot. And he says that these people would call the police and the police would like say, what do we want us to do? And he says the police would end up bringing them over to his place. And they would say, hey, Jim, we got somebody that saw something. And he says that he, that's how he collected a bunch of his stories. And he told me, he goes, Marlene, I can't tell you what these people saw, but whatever they saw scared them enough. He says, I had a couple of them tell me, look, sir, do you mind if we stay here until daybreak? Because we were afraid to go back home at dark, in the dark at night. And he says, I can't tell. But he says, I had enough stories that whether what they saw was what it was, was it Bigfoot or something else? They believed it was Bigfoot. And he goes, and that happened to me countless times. And, but my point getting is that whatever it is that he saw, it shook his world, that last guy who wanted me to erase his memory. Oh, by the way, let me tell you a quick story about stuff that hypnotists get. One time I get a call from a guy. He's in the Keys. And he asks me the same thing. He goes, can you hypnotize somebody to remember something? And I said, yeah, well, if they, if the person knows, yes. If they don't know it, there's, you can't make somebody know something like my magic. Like, hey, I'm going to hypnotize you and you will have this forbidden knowledge that you've never had before. If the person knows and they've forgotten, maybe it was a long time ago, I can help them remember, recover the memory. There's a lot of things that can be done. He goes, well, he's, uh, he goes, I'm down on the keys. I'm going to make an appointment because I think he said it was his wife, not his girlfriend, his wife. He goes, I put away some money in the house. And my wife says that she, no, what was it? That he had given her money to put away, like to hide somewhere in the house cash. And, and now she says she can't remember where she put it. I was like, oh, this is, this is not good. And he called me like on a Monday or Tuesday to come in on a Friday or something like, or Saturday, like he was going to drive down up from Key West in a key somewhere. And I said, I know where this is going. This lady does something with the money and she's afraid to tell him. And now he's holding the threat of, I'm going to take you to a hypnotist in Miami to make you recover this supposedly lost memory. Sure enough, they didn't show up, which I'm very glad about because I knew where that was going. You know, somebody's, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to get the hypnotist to <laughs> fess up what you did with, where you, where you hid the money that you can't remember what you did with it. Okay. Um, let's see. Yeah. Another, there was another guy I had where I've, I mentioned this in other shows. He came to me originally to stop smoking. All right. No problem. He 
young guy in his 20s. He worked in a law firm. He wasn't an attorney. He was studying to be an attorney. He was, he was already working in a law firm. Um, he was he was going in the right direction. So when he comes to me, he goes, Marlene, I need to stop smoking, man. I got to stop smoking. I said, okay. And we got him to stop smoking. And But he was one of these guys that was wired. And I'm sure you've met people like that. And so I helped him also besides... And he was one of these that he goes, man, he goes, I go to sleep listening to you every night because otherwise, man, when I listen to your recordings, I sleep deep. And I said, okay, great. As a matter of fact, his mother and his sister came, both came for, to stop smoking with me. I said, okay, that's not a problem. So one day he calls me and he tells me, uh, Marlene, I wanted to see if you could hypnotize me because something's going on with me. And I'm like, well, that's weird. I said, why? What's going on? His first name was Carlos. I said, what's going on, Carlos? I mean, I'm thinking this guy's. He says, look, I'm not really, I don't drink a lot of alcohol. But for a while now, the few times that I've gone out with my friends and I have a couple of drinks, I, they start, they, I, he says, I can't remember, but they say, he says, the last, this had just happened. As a matter of fact, this is what had spurred him to call me. He says, they had gone out somewhere. He says, Marlene, I, I think they had gone to some like somebody like a house party. He says, I trashed the place. He says, I was fighting some guys as I ran across the road. And my friends were like that. My friend says, my, my two friends said, man, we're not going out anymore with you. That's it. Forget it. He says, I can't remember doing this. And he goes, and I didn't drink a lot. I said, I had a couple of drinks. The next thing I know, I'm waking up the next day. And my friends are telling me, man, you were like wigged out. You were screaming and you trashed that place and you tried to have a fight with a guy and you ran across the road. We thought you were going to get run over. And I don't remember. And I was like, wow. So he tells me, look, can I come over to see you today? I said, okay. And it just so happened, I usually I used to have another hypnotist there with me. And that one day she tells me I can't make it. Because we weren't expecting, I think it was, and I said, well, you know what? No big deal because I've worked with this client before. It's like, oh, he comes over and, you know, we're talking and he's like, man, I don't understand what it is. I, he goes, I don't do drugs. Uh, I, yeah, I smoked. I stopped smoking. He says, I'll drink maybe when I go out to socialize, but I'll go the rest of the time without drinking. I, I don't know why I'm. And he goes, and it's happened already a few times before, but he says, but I said, okay. To make a long story short, we I put him under hypnosis, which by the way, once you hypnotize somebody, you can get them to drop down very quickly and very deeply, very quickly. You don't have to go through a long drive. You get them to go down as quick. And basically what he had was a demonic attachment, a demonic attachment that was basically taking him over with the alcohol. I don't know. Um, my feeling was that he was so high strung and I think he worked in such a high pressure kind of situation, which by the way, he thrived on, you know, there's some people that it, you know, decimates them, but he thrived on it. I think that when he took a couple of drinks, this thing just like took over to make a long story short, it was like a low level demonic because I, we did, I did a spiritual attachment. I did, it's a process. And I'm thinking, okay, maybe he's got an attachment of, like that other kid, like a grandparent, a family member, who, who knows? And uh, the one time that I'm alone, he starts 
he's in this easy chair and he, uh, this guy starts contorting and hissing and his body's going like me. And I'm like, oh crap, Marlene. Talk about the one touch. <laughs> and I was like, but you can't, you can't back down from this. You can't say, I'm not going to, you know. And thankfully, thankfully, this was a very low level. When I say demonic, and you could also use the word non-human, it was very low level, not that intelligent. Uh, it wasn't that resistant as part as far as leaving him. And I'm trying to figure out how did he pick this up? Where did he get this? Turns out, and, and at this point, I'm not even sure if it was something that was sent to him or done to him. He was working in a law firm that they were handling uh, human trafficking cases. And this was a while back. This was like human trafficking and smuggling has been around for, you know, lately it's get, it's gotten a lot of press, but even a few years ago, all right, I want to say 2010, 2009, it was going back, uh, back. And apparently that law firm or who he was working with and I don't know if it was because he was the one that was doing the legwork for the attorneys. He was studying to be an attorney. Bottom line, it was tied into that work that basically they were trying to derail him from doing that work. Maybe they were working on a case that was onto somebody. Somebody did some dark magic. I don't know what it was, how this kid got this low-level demonic attachment. That he was, man, when it started talking to me, his... His face totally changed. His voice became another person thing. He twisted around like his body contorted totally in that chair. And uh, no, it was basically I sent it on its way again with there's a process there when you ask for angelic help and basically it, it has to leave. Can't say no. And again, I'm giving you the, the the condensed version of that process. Bottom line, we got it out. And he was, this guy, which by the way, I was a real, he was almost ready to, um, and that's when he told me, I said, Carlos, where have you been to or what have you been doing? Where did you pick this up from? Because remember in hypnosis, contrary to what people think, you are aware of what's going on. You remember, it's not like you're, you wake up, oh, what happened? You're aware. You're just in a very relaxed state, but you hear and see everything as far as inside. There's no, I said, uh, how did, how, you know, I don't know you that well, but I think you kind of come across as like this real hardworking guy who's got, you know, you've got plans, you've got goals. How, how, I'm thinking, man, is he living in some double life? What's going on with him? And basically, that's when he says something. Well, you know what? We're working on uh, this big case with human trafficking. I said, yeah. And uh, it made something because the, the, the creature, whatever you want to call it, I don't know what to call it, made mention we don't want to let him do what he wants to do. At that point, I really wasn't sure what he wanted to do. And I said, uh, and he, he didn't tell me exactly, but the, in other words, the people that, they had the case or that they was investigating or on behalf, they weren't, they weren't, it, uh, they were another nationality. I, I'm not sure where the, the people that were doing this trafficking ring, they, but they weren't from the United States. They were doing it in the United States, but their origins were from another country. And I said, well, I said, you better be careful. 
because I might be wrong, but chances are that's how you, this thing, this thing uh, basically was trying to wreck your career, your life. You know, if, if, if you didn't get killed running across highways uh, and sure enough, once we went through that, he stayed in touch with me for a while and he was great. He, he goes, Marlene, I've, he says, I want to, I finally convinced a couple of my friends to go out with me again. And we had a couple of drinks and I was fine. No problem. He says, and that happened again. No problem. And then like all everything, you know, people get on with their lives and you lose track of them. You lose contact with them, but he never called me back. He never said, Hey, I had this problem again or, okay. I'm going to get back to my last weird story of people calling me with weird stories. And there's, there's a lot of them, but I'm going to stay on the cryptid side of it. Same thing. I get a guy who calls me up. He says, I need to come in to stop smoking. I said, okay. He comes in and he tells me, he says, look, I used to, this man was in his fifties, late fifties, something like that. He had started smoking as a young, young teenager. When he was in his twenties, he had stopped smoking with hypnosis. So he knew it worked. The guy hadn't smoked in 35 years and now he started smoking and he needed to stop smoking. And I said, okay, well, well, well. I said, you've gone 35 years without smoking and you stopped in your twenties after you did hypnosis. I said, what happened that you now, after so many years, you've taken up smoking again? And he goes, well, and I could tell his story. It, it was like, okay, this is not the regular, you know, I have a family crisis, uh, lost my job, I got a divorce, my wife left me, my whatever. I said, well, if you want to tell me, but it can help me. I, I, I mean, I can hypnotize you again to stop smoking. Obviously it worked. But I know that for you to start smoking again, it had to be something really. He goes, well, he says, you promise you're not going to laugh. I said, I guarantee you I'm not going to laugh. I've heard a lot of strange stuff. Okay, but it's up to you. Tells me the story. Again, he, he comes to see me in Florida, but he made it sound like he had gone out of state. He had an adult son. And this, uh, the kid was, uh, well, I'm, I'm saying the kid, he sounded like he was a man already was into hunting. And he says, oh, and I went with him and a group of his friends, they were hunting, but I, I'm not into the hunting thing. I just wanted to be with him. What I did, I was, I, I became the check wagon guy. I became the camp chef. He says, because they were out there for a few days. And uh, he says, and uh, you know, they were always bugging with me. Hey, oh man, what you gonna make? You gonna make something to eat, blah, blah, blah. And he says, and that was, I was happy. I just wanted to spend time with my son. And you know, these guys were having a great time. And he says that one day, he says, we had, uh, he says, we had camp close to somebody, what I think it was a lake or a pond or something like that. And he goes, look, he says, one night, he says, usually these guys would leave real early, like pre-dawn, they'd go off hunting and I would get up later. And by the time they get back, I would have breakfast. I'd be cooking stuff, coffee, all that stuff. So he says that um, one morning they've all left. And he says, I'm, I'm in my tent. He says, usually I would wake up a little bit because I'm, you know, these guys are, and then I would fall asleep you know, sleep for a little few more minutes, a little bit, and then get up. You know, he says, I'd wait till like it was daylight and I'd get up. So he says that he's asleep in his trunk, in his trunk, in his uh, tent, and he hears something or somebody walking. He says, he says, I'm thinking it's one of these guys because he says, I can tell. He says, he says, when you're out in these woods, you hear animal noises all around the camp. 
you know, but we had a fire, we had a couple of tents and, you know, usually they just stayed on the perimeter or nothing came through and whatever. He says, but you hear these noises. He says, but he says this one time I'm there. I'm the only one that's left behind the camp. I'm still in my sleeping bag. And he says, and I hear something coming through the brush and come out into this clearing where we've got our tents pitched. And he says, by the way, I'm listening to, he says, the, the tread, he says, you could tell, he says, it's too bipedal. So he says, he's thinking it's one of these guys that came back. One of these guys that came back and they forgot something. All right. So he says, he says, I was about to say, hey, which one of you guys shut up? You know, what are you guys making noise? You're waking me up. But he says, he says, I don't know what made me just not say anything. I just, and he says that he hears whatever it is walking. And then he says he hears it, like he says it goes like, I guess, uh, against to the shore, whatever was there, the pond, the, the lake, whatever. And here's like the, the water, pluck, pluck, pluck. And he's thinking, this is really weird because one of these guys, if they would have come back, they would have said something to me already. So he says that he's down on the floor, you know, well, you know, on the ground. And he says, he says, I just got this feeling that whatever it is. And he says that he pulled up like the bottom of the tent. And he says he looked underneath the 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 tent, I guess it wasn't any, you know, you know how sometimes you have those that have the canvas on the bottom. I guess this wasn't one of those. And he says, I saw this thing coming up from the shore. And he says, it was, it was a wolf. He says, it was like a werewolf. He said, it was, he says, it was huge. He says, that really dark fur. And he says, and he says, I don't, he goes, he says, I stared at it and he goes, and I was afraid it was going to turn around. He says, I don't know how I would have seen me because he says he barely had it. He says, but I just like ducked back in. I just closed it. And he says, and I didn't, I didn't make any noise. And eventually he just heard it walk away. And he says that sure enough, you know, the guys came back later and, Around midday, he says that his son is pulls him and he goes, what's wrong with you? Something's up with you. What's wrong with you? Tell me what's wrong. Because he says, I couldn't, he says, I, I didn't know how to tell. I thought that if I told these guys they were going to make fun of me and just make that, that I was making a big story. And he says, I just, he goes, I didn't know what, he says, I was just worried. It's a matter of fact that I was, he says they were about to leave anyway. And he says, and I did, I was worried about, I'm not, he goes, I was ready to go sleep in the car or the truck when these guys left. I didn't know what I was going to do. So finally, son says, okay, you need to tell me what's going on because something's wrong with you. And he goes, well, he says, finally, he tells his son, hey, this happened to me this morning when you got, right after you guys left. And he says, his son looks at him and he goes, my, he goes, I, and then his son called over. He says, one of the guys was an older guy. I think he lived in that area. Calls him over and tells him, dad, I want you to tell him what you just told me. And he says, look, I really felt bad. But he says, look, this guy, yeah, he's, he, he, he's not going to laugh at you. I want you to tell him what you just told me. And the guy, when he told the guy, the, the, he says, the, my, the, the man said, look, I've never seen what your dad, what your dad just talked about, but I have heard from other people of seeing that in this area. 
he goes and exactly almost like what he just described. I think we should leave. And he says that they picked up, they were like, they were like a day short of leaving and they left. And then he said he came back and same thing. He says, I started smoking again. He says, I was so nervous. I was so strung out. Uh, he says, I couldn't wrap my head around it. I didn't know. I'm worried about my son. I made him swear to me he was never going to go hunting out there. I know he likes hunting too much to stop hunting, but I made him swear to me he's never going to go out in that neck of the woods again. And I just don't know. Bottom line, I helped him with his smoking again. I put him under and I gave him relaxation. And we talked for a little while more. And then eventually he stopped um, He stopped calling because you know I gave him the MP3s. And um, same thing when, when people have this, the, the 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 reality clashes with the reality they used to have. How's that? It comes, you know, the like the matrix, you know, which pill, the blue or the red. And there's one guy that goes, I want to go back to living the life before I knew that there was such a thing as a matrix. Well, it's almost that thing that we're so used to what is that you see or experience something that to you up to that moment was science fiction, fantasy, something you see in a good movie, uh, uh, good FX. And then it turns out not to be. And people have a hard time because they just, they don't know how to square it in their head. So I, you know, I work with people on that and it's, we're coming up on an hour and 30 minutes. I might do another show on this. I have other, um, I have other uh, I have other stories about hypnosis where people have questions about hypnosis and what can be done with it. Like I said, with alternative hypnosis, there is a um, there's other things that you could uh, do with hypnosis as far as uh, behavior modification. And like I said, when you I'll say one more story. This is uh, I've mentioned this before. I had a man coming to see me for a spirit attachment and he gets off on a attack. He gets off uh, from a taxi and he's on crutches. Didn't even know. Comes up on the crutches and I see the taxi driver follows me behind him to my off, you know, to the entrance. And I have a very small office. It was me, the other hypnotist. And I always had a, another chair, but sometimes people would bring in somebody with them, you know, like whatever. And I see, I see this taxi driver walk the guy with the crutches. I'm like, okay, well, boy, what a conscientious taxi driver. Walks into the office. And then I see the guy walk in. I said, so the client tells me, I want him to stay here. I said, you want him to stay here? This is how weirded out he was with hypnosis. He needed help. He wanted. And, and I said, by the way, this guy had his fare going. I said, well, we could do this, but I can't. I can't guarantee you confidentiality. <laughs> it's like, well, you're going to have basically what's considered a complete stranger listening to your entire hypnotic session. And that's exactly, well, we did it. And there was a lot of things going on with him. It turned out he was from the islands. And yeah, he did have an attachment. Apparently at some time he had been involved in some um, darker magic uh, out of the islands. And there was... Um, how can I say when people dabble in something that they should or practice it? How's that? 
if you can believe in certain things or you hear of it, and then when you start practicing it and you're not really don't know what you're doing, it can't, it's like a boomerang effect. And he had a big problem with that. And, uh, you know, I told him, well, I'll tell you what, you know, we worked on that. And uh, I said, uh, the feeling I get, though, is even if we work through this and we relax you and, you know, we dialogue with what's that, I have a feeling that who you're hanging around with or who you're going someplace where you're never going to be able to get rid of this unless you stop. And he looked at me and he's like, yes, you're right. You're right. Yes, you're right. You're right. I said, it's up to you. I spoke to him a couple of times and same thing. Um, that's the way that ended. But yeah, him and his taxi driver left. That was a very costly session, by the way, because that was the fare plus my, my fee, which was for like 75 minute session. So yeah. So anyway, guys, if you guys want me to do another one of these, let me know. And um, if you want me to talk about specific, by the way, if you want to listen to some of my hypnosis, go to my other channel. It's called hypnosis-diy.com, hypnosis-diy.com. And there I have videos for hypnosis, for ASMR, for going to sleep, for relaxation, for overcoming fears, anxieties, phobias. I'm on YouTube. But you can also go to my website, hypnosis-diy.com. If you want to listen to something to relax you. Uh, and again, if you guys want to, I'll have another show about uh, behavior modification. And, and by the way, a lot of people... On, a, on an ending note, a lot of people say, well, Marlene, you know, if hypnosis works, I go, it does work. It works great. I've seen it, especially with smoking. I said, but people don't realize that especially until something gets really cemented and because your brain, you know, you have plasticity and then, you know, you basically have neural pathways that that's what allows you to do things like unconsciously, like drive. Maybe at the beginning, you had to overthink everything when you were learning to drive. Then now you could like, you know, people drive and they don't think twice about it because you have neural pathways in your brain where you do this automatically. So while that's happening, we get bombarded with a lot of messages across the board uh, telling us things contrary, you know, whether it's the way we look or this or that or negative reinforcements. Um, and some people, we have a critical factor that usually this will bounce off of, but high anxiety High anxiety will also put you in a state of hypnosis, which means you could be walking around because everybody thinks that if you're hypnotized, you're like this. And no, you could be walking around and be hypnotized. And what that means is that everything you listen to or see, especially negative stuff, is bypassing your critical factors and it's going straight into your subconscious mind. All right. And that was one of the suggestions that I would give my clients is that we're going to close that door to your subconscious mind and not let negative information or images into enter into your subconscious mind. And let's face it, we can go very easily. Of course, it depends on the temperament of the person. Very easily into an action. Anxiety will put you. That's why you will even see sometimes people say, oh, I drove home, I don't remember. You were, Maybe you had an anxious moment and you, you're hypnotized. And basically, <clears throat> you're like opened. Same thing, certain beats of music will put you into a hypnotic state. And a lot of advertisers know that. A lot of, uh, when they make these blockbuster movies that basically you're immersed in the movie. This happens because they will be playing this loud music with a certain beat that will put you into a hypnotic um, 
your 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 mind is open, whatever. And that's why when you're, of course, this was, you know, in the movie theater or something, or even now when people have the big screen TVs, that you're basically there and you're like, oh, all these things basically you even though you're hypnotized for certain behavior modification, it's worth it sometimes to reinforce it through some recordings because you get bombarded with the opposite of it. And that's and that I could run into as far as the pain and pleasure principle and what drives us to um, remain where we're at, despite if you have intentions of changing and you say you want this change and somehow or other, you become your own worst enemy. And I'll tell you what, we're November. I'm going to do one now for the New Year's, for New Year's resolution, as far as change. Why we don't we want to change? And what are the tricks to getting you to change and embrace it and keep it and not become your own worst enemy? Uh, your subconscious basically betrays you. And by the way, the subconscious is very, very sneaky in the way it will keep you where you're at versus letting you go and do those changes where consciously you say, I want to do this, whatever it is. Uh, I want to lose weight. I want to, you know, start, go to another job. I want to, whatever, whatever, whatever it might be. Your subconscious will always try to keep you in that same scenario. And then I'll throw in some weird stories along the way. Because I have plenty of them. It's one of those things you do as a hypnotherapist. So guys, thank you again. Thank you so much for being part of my audience. Come back every week. And I'll be back to the regular paranormal stuff along the way. Take care.